like we keep thinking, okay, this high is going to fall down soon. Surely we can't keep going at this level of of capacity. It's I think the area is about eight or nine hundred percent up in terms of tourism, um, which is just phenomenal. Like there's there's no campaign you could ever do to to attract the amount of people we've had come to the area. So keeping up has been the hardest thing. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Australia is an anomaly, the world's largest desert island where almost all the inhabitants dwell within a stone's throw of the glistening ripples of deep blue. Our society has become so globally focused, we often forget to look over the back fence and explore our own country. With international travel in doubt and a wealth of adventures on offer across Australia, will regional and local tourism experience the biggest uplift ever? Morgan Snow is the co-owner and general manager of Finn's Restaurant and Finn's at Plantation House in Byron. Morgan, how are you going? Good morning, how are you? Good, you've got um, some pretty severe floods going on up there at the moment and an impending cyclone. How, what's going on up there? Oh, you know, it looks like we've got new round of border closures only because of the floods, so my staff can't get to us today. Um, so not the Queensland government doing it for COVID, but Mother Nature never ends. Um, I, I understand the main beach at Byron has sort of been washed out. Do you, do you know much about what's going on? Look, we, we're about 20 minutes north of Byron. So we, um, whilst we, we source a lot of our product from down there, I kind of avoid the place like the plague. It's a bit too chaotic, Byron, for us these days. We're happy to be a bit further up the road. <laughs> so no... Look, um, I think ben, ben and Belinda's place down at uh, the Beach Caf is, is hanging on by a few sandbags, so it's, it's going to be a bit of an ominous summer for them. Well, last summer was pretty ominous as well for many in Australia with the bushfires and then we had the pandemic and now you're experience, experiencing floods. How, how are you feeling about where the restaurant is, situa- is situated in regional Australia? Look, it's been the most unusual sort of turn of events for us over the last six months because where we are is the very last border town in northern New South Wales. Um, We, whilst we did have three months of of being shut down like everyone else, um, we then did reopen under all sorts of different uh, hats or guises with takeaway and Snowy's Kitchen cooking live, different pop-up food events that I filmed all on my iPhone, me from a non-marketing background became a marketing extraordinaire, Um, to then, you know, reopening for 10 people, 20 people, COVID spacing, all the the same stuff that everyone has had to do to to keep reinventing the wheel in dining. Um, But we ended up being the busiest we've ever been in our 30 years of trade, purely because we were this, this last port of call for anyone from down south who maybe needed to access Queensland or see family or had medical things, people would come and basically stop where we were and we went from uh, sadly losing pretty much all of our staff at the start of COVID, we didn't really get anyone back, um, to being a restaurant that was then trying to juggle doing, you know, 150 covers. It hasn't really stopped. This is sort of quiet weeknights where... Typically over the winter months, we, you know, we might do one seating, 50 or 60 people, knowing that we're in a really seasonal area, that our, our peak times are summer, Easter, school holidays. 
Um, winter, we would normally disappear and shut our eyes and go, oh, my God, we're losing money hand over fist and we'd, we'd run away and do some other project. It's been, um, I don't think we've ever worked as hard as we have in the last six months, just trying to keep up. Um, whilst also trying to comply with, uh, you know, all the, you know, rightly placed in, in order COVID things, um, which has made running a business pretty challenging. Uh, you know, the, our, our locals have been immensely supportive, but people quickly forgot about um, the, the restrictions that we were trying to operate under up here. And it's been a tough period where we're trying to, you know, we're trying to facilitate big numbers, um, rules and people that don't really want to abide by the rules. Uh, so it's, it's been unusual. So, yeah, no, now today we've got floods. My, my staff can't get down here. Um, suppliers have just told me we can't get any deliveries. Um, whatever. Let's, <laughs> we, <laughs> we'll pick stuff out of the back garden. We'll, we'll figure something out. Snowy and I are very hands-on uh, duo. So, Snowy, my husband, Stephen, is, is the chef of Finns. He's, he's on the pans um, five nights a week. I'm out the front. I'm the sommelier and I'm... The manager, but I'm I'm extremely hands-on, attention to detail, obsessive compulsive type. So yeah, what whatever the next challenge is, let's go. We we can still do it. Well, the Queensland borders just opened fairly recently, and as you say, you're the last port of call up there in northern New South Wales. Did did that have much of an impact on you once the borders opened again? Look, it it probably hasn't. Yet, I think we might see a slightly different summer than we anticipated because a lot of people hadn't, um, you know, haven't known what to do. They've, you know, holiday makers, all the amazing inbound Australian tourism that's been happening over the last few months. We, we've really felt that where we are, but I think now Queensland will open up and people will venture into Queensland. But it's like we keep thinking, okay, this high is going to fall down soon. Surely we can't keep going at this level of of capacity, it's I think the area is about eight or nine hundred percent up in terms of tourism. Wow! Um, which is just phenomenal. Like there's there's no campaign you could ever do to to attract the amount of people we've had come to the area. So keeping up has been the hardest thing. We staffing, which is probably like the national dilemma right now, um, has been just radically hard. We're, we've been lucky. We've actually got an incredibly young, dynamic team. I've done more training than I've ever done to get everyone up to speed because we had to start from scratch uh, after the closure. But I think it's the best team we've ever had. So we're lucky. Fingers crossed. Were there challenges involved? As you say, you kind of lost your whole team and you had to start again. Were there some challenges involved in that? Oh, yeah, I mean, it's... Um, there's been a huge shift in the work ethic in, in Australia, I think. Um, surf keeper, as we call it up here on the North Coast, um, has, has left areas that haven't been um, really decimated, like Victoria, where, you know, things have ticked on up here. Um, those incentives by the government haven't really worked to our benefit as business owners. Um, so I had a lot of amazingly talented core hospitality professionals um, that had worked for us for, for years and many of my friends' restaurants up here kind of opt to just chill out um, and, and do nothing. So the challenge has really been bringing really young staff up to speed and um, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised. I mean, 
you know, it's funny, I met Snowy when I was 22 and probably far too young and completely disinterested in hospitality, really. It was like a, a fun ends to, to facilitate a great lifestyle and it was a short-term thing for me and he backed me as someone who was full of ideas and young and dynamic and went, let's, let's just go. He took, we kind of went out on a limb with someone like me and we've, we've kind of turned a big circle and done the same thing with this. My whole core, my core team at Finns are probably under 26. So, yeah, so it's, it's cool. It's, and, and our regulars who are, you know, pretty hard to please, serious diners have embraced it and it's, you know, it's wonderful. Well, you say Stephen took a chance on you when you were 22, but you've had a, <laughs> an, ama an amazing career and the influence on, on Finns is, is evident in its success as well. What's it been like in that period since those days? Look, um... I never. I think I feel like hospitality chose me. I didn't choose it, and I did fight it for a number of years, thinking this is not what I'm going to do. Um, but it's it's wildly addictive, and partnering with someone um, personally, but also in a business sense, we're really. Um, I call him yes, chef at work. We don't play any husband and wife stuff ever, and never have done in the in the workplace. Um, Snowy's kind of either sort of mad enough or I'm convincing enough that he just backs my crazy ideas um, and I have a pretty short attention span and I'm on to the next project before I've even finished the first and he just goes, yeah, let's run with it. Um, he's, he's really creative but at a different stage in where he's at. He, he wants to make beautiful food and, and hang out and go surfing and um, chill out a little bit whereas I'm still... Um, a little bit frenetic, so we work well together. You mentioned the uplift in, in tourism in the area, which was just extraordinary. What, what does it take to uh, deliver a restaurant of your level in a regional area? You have to just keep reinventing the wheel up here um, because we don't have, like whilst we have this flood of tourists at the moment, um, we've never been able to rely on tourists to keep you alive. So regional dining is incredibly seasonal. Um, so you have to keep um, creating something new to keep the regulars engaged, particularly if you're running a, a restaurant that is um, probably more on the, uh, how would I put it, you know, it's, it's, a, it's another price point. We're offering something that is you know, certainly a notch up. Uh, we're not an everyday restaurant, so we've we've sort of tackled that by transforming our bar areas into cheap and cheerful pop-ups where I've graffitied walls. I'm actually a painter is my background. I'm an artist and I have a fine arts background. Um, so they were always like a fun creative pursuit for me where the, the whole idea was born out of um, a project snowing. I actually did a, we did a Finns restaurant in Portugal many years ago. And I just loved what the Portuguese do in terms of finding some little hole in the wall space. They're incredibly creative people. And we came back and, and did this little pop-up called Pequena, which is Portuguese for the little. And people loved it. There was like, you know, Finns is our serious night out. It's our special occasion restaurant. And then we had this gritty, grungy, really authentic pop-up, cheap and cheerful thing in the bar that's sort of sprouted you know, we think we did about seven or eight different conceptual pop-ups that would run for a few months. Um, and then fr from that, we then, you know, looked at other venues and we opened the wedding and events venue, which has had um, various kind of other little, you know, pop-up event-based stuff other than just the wedding trade. 
And aside from that, then Snowy and I do quite a bit of consultancy. So we've we've had to keep reinventing our wheel to to keep things happening on the north coast. Um, because it can be a little bit fickle up here. It's, there's just not, you know, there's not millions of people to draw upon to keep your business open. Um, but, but now, I don't know, now we're in a, another climate. It's, we, we have no idea how the next 12 months is going to unfold because, as I said, we've never had the guest numbers like we've seen in the last six months where we're serving, you know, 150, 200 people on a, on a Saturday and a Friday <coughs> night in a little 70-seat restaurant, three seatings. I mean, it's insane stuff. Given what's going on in the world at the moment and the rising cases in other countries and Australia almost kind of um, COVID-free um, in comparison, how, how are you feeling about the next couple of years and, and regional dining and the attraction of that for Australian consumers? Oh, look, I think we're going to have um, what Australian regional areas should have had many, many years ago, which is you know, incredible flood of people experiencing our backyard. I think it's super positive. Um, Snowy and I did a project. I mean, touch wood, we're so lucky we did it last year uh, for six months in regional Spain where we, we shipped off our, our little family with our four-year-old and, and moved into a winery in, in La Rioja, so right up in the north, um, and did a six-month pop-up project in a winery there where we... Um, I'm a sommelier as well, so I write the wine list. So I sort of teamed up with some winemaker friends of ours over there and, and Snowy cooked and I did wine. And we did all these sort of cool things over there. And, you know, the, the difference in, in Europe in terms of regional areas is people will travel. People don't care. They'll drive two hours to go at, eat at a place that just does the best fish on the plancha and that's all they do. Um, and we have the produce and we have the beautiful areas and we have the skilled people here. So it's, it's maybe it's Australia's turn for people to to experience what we do. I mean, it's, it's not new, we all know it, but for some reason, us included, every year we would pack off and go to Europe for two months. That's not gonna happen for a while, so I think it's exciting. Well, as you mentioned a bit earlier, it's been 30 years uh, for Finns. It's uh, made a real name for itself, and uh, Stephen Snow, or Snowy as he's affably named, um, is, is one of Australia's best seafood cooks. Can you tell us about the sort of food and offering that you have at Finns? Look, Snowy's definitely got a pretty eclectic um, sort of cuisine to draw on. He, he's an untrained cook. He's a surfer. His background is business and law. Um, and his love of surf and the ocean has taken Snowy all around the world. And I think that's where the influence of sort of global cuisine comes into the Finns menu. Um, I wouldn't say we're really rooted in any food type other than beautiful local seafood. He's an absolute hedonist and so particular with what he sources. So we've got incredible fishermen that just fish for us. Uh, we have a whole organic kitchen garden. We've got growers that just grow for us. Um, this kind of paddock to plate and source local thing is, is uber fashionable and has been an uber fashionable idea for chefs and restaurants over the last few years, but it's something that Snowy's done for 30 years, um, unwavering and, and certainly not doing it to gratuitously write um, local line court salmon like I've seen on some restaurant menus, <laughs> missing the point entirely. Um, so our food starts with the produce. We don't really overcomplicate it from that point on, but certainly I would say there's a very global um, 
inspiration Snowy tends to when he travels as a guest chef, which he's done every single year um, forever. Uh, he, he cooks all over the world. He typically tries to find something really rustic, authentic and the flavour of that place and then he really reinterprets it in his way. So, yeah, the menu kind of can seem a little bit eclectic. There's a lot of Japanese influence. We've always had Japanese chefs in our kitchen. Um, Snowy loves their their simplicity and their respect for produce. But there's, there's certainly a fairly Iberian spin on things. Um, as I said, we did this project in Spain last year and we used to have a Finns in Portugal, so we've spent a lot of time in Spain and Portugal over the last 15 years together. And our preference and our way of eating is, is that very simple plunger, Mediterranean, you know, beautiful product. Don't stuff it up from there on in. The less is more idea. You're, you're in a region that uh, isn't known for producing wine, but Australia has extraordinary wines. How do you go about creating the wine list as sommelier to match uh, Snowy's eclectic sort of um, driven cuisine? Um, Snowy gives me great challenges. He's like, I only drink red wine, so make me the best red wine list in Australia to go with the seafood menu. <laughs> um, look, I... Um, you know, wine is just, it's once you start in the world of wine, you realise you know nothing and that was part of my attraction to, to becoming a sommelier was I felt like I needed to keep learning in, in the hospitality industry and I think um, we have a really exciting bunch of young winemakers doing some really cool stuff in Australia right now. Obviously, the, the whole movement of of natural wine is really interesting. People are really fascinated by that up here. Maybe it's the hippie Byron Bay North Coast thing. So um, people have a very open mind towards trying different stuff. But uh, look, there's so much wine in Australia. We're, we're lucky. We've got really fantastic um, local representation of national brands that will come around. I do tastings every week so whilst we don't have the the flood of wine bars and the exposure that we might have in Sydney or Melbourne to be able to experience everything Australia has on offer we pretty much see all of it but most of my travel um, with work or without work is somehow centered around wine um, so I, I do do a lot of international stuff in the wine world so it's actually we have a lot of Australian wine but we have a pretty top heavy Iberian representation as well. But up here, up here, we're all gin, gin, craft beer, spirits. Um, we also have a little gin bar at the restaurant, which is, you know, our way of representing what we do locally because we, you know, we obviously it's like floods and subtropical. You couldn't make anything up here in the wine in the wine sphere. So what we can support is our our distillers, our amazing craft distillers and breweries. How much have you seen that change uh, in the last decade or so in that sort of region? It's definitely, it's definitely put this region on the map from a, a gastro-tourism perspective. Um, we've always been known for great produce up here. There's, you know, the Bangalore sweet pork, there's the seafood, there's all the exotics in terms of the fresh produce, the finger lime, all those innate, um, um, endemic, incredible rainforest foods that we, that we grow up here. But, um, you know, having Brookies down the road and the guys from Huss Distillery and Stone and Wood Brewery, like these guys are all mates of ours. They're all just fun, cool larrikins that have backed themselves and now they've become national brands that are just absolutely killing it. So we do heaps of fun little events with them. They're always on board for something something different and creative. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a cool collective. 
you're the general manager that steers the, the ship at Fins. Has there been some changes that you've implemented during this year that will stay on um, beyond COVID? Oh, look, there's been a lot of operational changes that are things that I actually haven't really wanted to do. Um, you know, the things like making guests prepay, taking credit card deposits, you know, making dining into a bit of a transaction that has so many rules is definitely not something that is is in my vein of, of interest, but we've really had to do it. I think there's got to be a, a, a huge kick up the ass from Australian diners to respect uh, how hard it's been for a lot of restaurants and this whole no-show stuff that, um, you know, we were having Saturday nights where we'd have 40 covers no-show and this was this was the early on period where we just bounced out of being shut down for three months, um, hundreds of thousands of dollars in the red, you know, from a business and personal perspective. So um, to pay your staff and to have the whole thing running and all the product and all that stuff and then turn people away because we had all our restricted one per four square metre trying to operate with 40 covers in a 100-seat experience across the two venues. Um, yeah, the no-show things, you know, a national cry that we're all trying to deal with. So I don't, I don't like, and, and actually customers have kind of embraced it now. They're getting used to it, but it's been a bit of a battle trying to have people understand that we take credit card numbers and pre-authorizations and pre-payments and all this stuff that's almost created a whole nother job for someone. I have to have someone sitting on the phone all day doing it. Um, it seems like an absolute waste of time, but um, look, it's, it's not, maybe it's not negative. It's just the way of the future. We've spoken to many operators that have changed a lot during this time and you've had incredible uplift in, in business. How have, how have you felt about your role in the hospitality industry? Has, has it changed this year? Oh, look, it's, oh, it's, it's, a really, it's a really hard one. I think because the general public have, um, haven't been able to have all their luxuries that they've wanted to have, their trips have been cancelled, they haven't been even able to visit family in neighbouring states. We've really seen that here. I mean, half our staff couldn't even get to work for a while because of the border closure. Um, our role in hospitality and as a restaurant and a, a place of escape for people, um, a place that creates a beautiful connecting experience and has been one of the happiest things for people during a really hard year. Um, you know, our, our, our roles kind of changed because we've been reinvigorated in a completely different way that we didn't expect. Um, people come to us and, and thank us for, you know, for just being this place of, of, of beauty and connection. So that's really different. It's, it's less about, you know, numbers and, and the business side of things. It's been going back to, hey, this is why we do this. The point of a restaurant. You mentioned that the industry chose you and you kind of tried to fight it at a young age and didn't necessarily want to be a part of the hospitality industry, but you've um, certainly made an impact within it. What do you love about uh, working in the industry? It's incredibly theatrical and it's definitely a forum if you're a creative person to continuously have amazing creative projects always happening. So um, maybe I've been lucky with the people I've partnered with, but I feel like sometimes I come up with the most far-flung idea and it always comes to fruition. 
it's also been an industry that I haven't stopped learning. So um, I think it's, it's pretty hard to become stagnant in hospitality if you want to keep expanding your horizons. Um, and there's, there's been great programs along the way. I did a, a fantastic thing with um, the Electrolux Young Chef and Waiter of the Year program many, many years ago in my mid-20s and, and got into the top 10 in Australia with that. And that took me on great um, you know, tours around regional New South Wales and we did cool partner things in Sydney. There's, there's great things for young people in hospitality. It's, um, and obviously moving into the wine world is, is a world that I can't ever leave now and I, you know, it's become a love affair for me. But, you know, I think, I think hospitality has got something that you can't really pinpoint that's just so widely addictive. You mentioned that you come up with some pretty crazy ideas that actually come to fruition. What's the craziest idea you've come up with that um, you've executed and, and delivered? Look, I, pro I probably would say for where we we're at, it was New Year's Eve 12 months ago. We did three seatings in the restaurant, exhausted, came home. It was three in the morning and I said to Snowy, we're going to do something a bit, bit crazy this year. So we FaceTimed our friends in Spain, Portugal and France on New Year's Eve and said, we want to do something wild, we want to come over. You know, we, we were personally, we were a little bit stagnant at that point. We were feeling like we were um, a bit of a machine. We'd opened uh, three venues that, over that sort of pr prior 18 months and felt like, you know, we were losing a bit of the joy in what we were doing. Um, and within two weeks of speaking, we just put it out there, like, you know, we want to do something. Within two weeks, our friend Telmo Rodriguez, who's a very imminent winemaker in Spain, um, invited us to live in his 12th century little church on one of his wineries in Rioja. Um, so we had to do all sorts of crazy stuff and get our French friends to do some somewhat dodgy sponsorship of us because of the Shenigan scheme where you can't be in Europe for more than three months because we were planning to be there for six months. Um, and it all happened. And by, by the first week of March, um, you know, we pulled our little four-year-old out of preschool and enrolled her in a Basque-speaking, Basque-Spanish-speaking preschool in a tiny village uh, called La Bastida in the north of Spain. And that, that turned out to be completely wild. So we cooked with um, basically the chefs would come into the winery over there and we had everyone from uh, Ator from Elcano, which won, I think it got seventh or, eighth, seventh or fifth best restaurant in the world and he came a week later and cooked with us. We did all these kind of crazy wild pop-up things oh, in the wow. middle of the vineyard cooking on coals with no team. So Snowy and I were in the kitchen. Uh, that was my first... Uh, entree into being his apprentice bitch, which I don't want to do again. Um, but but um, we had a ball. It was totally wild and we were definitely, we were really inspired by that experience. That sprouted a new project which we will unfold hopefully towards the end of next year uh, in Australia. So let's see, watch this space. Well, 30 years is extraordinary and... Um for any any restaurant, particularly a regional restaurant, you just sort of briefly touched on something you know exciting for next year. But what can we expect from Finns in yeah. the next couple of years? Will there be some big changes? There is. So um, this time next year will be the end of our thirtieth year of the restaurant, and our business is exceptional. We absolutely love what we do, but we are looking at 
um, changing it right up. Snowy and I are never scared of change. So it, it might be a goodbye to Finns uh, at the end of next year and something, something new sprouting. Um, and purely just, um, we've, we have recreated the Finns brand over and over again in different sort of veins that have moved with the ebbs and flows of what, um, what Australian diners want at the time. Um, but we're ready for some other new project which has been heavily influenced by what we did overseas. And I think it will be really in line with um, this unfolding, exploring Australia experience where it's going to be a real regional draw card. I mean, Finns has always been a real regional experience and it's always been about the North Coast seafood and you know people come to us for that and have done for years, but we might take it a bit further. Well, you're currently dealing with um, floods and a potential cyclone at the moment, but um, you know trade is up. What, what, what's your hope for the for the coming summer? Um, you know, as we move out of COVID and um, start to operate normally. Look, at the moment, we um, you know we we're sort of just trying to keep up. We can only trade four days, even though we've got the numbers to do more. We still can't get the staff, so. I'm really hoping some people come out of the woodwork um, that want to re-enter the hospitality industry. I think there's, uh, there's a big cry for, for people to, to rejoin this industry, particularly because we've got none of the amazing international people that would come to Australia every year and um, I'm missing that. We've always had a real United Nations at Finns and had people from all over the world and that's really added to the eclectic mix of our team and, and, and for training purposes. So... Uh, what's going to happen over the next summer? I don't, I don't know. Like, gee, hopefully we can we can keep the standard that we want to keep um, with the flood of people and the lack of staff. It's a bit scary for us, actually. I mean, I'm, you know, I feel like I'm. I have worked seven days a week for the last six months because I'm trying to do the operations, the all the business back end, you know, director marketing team have the, the, the two venues running um, and, you know, with the chop and change of rules that has happened most of the time with about 24 hours notice. Um, I hope we don't see anything more in, in terms of COVID here, but, you know, who knows? Like, I think everyone's, everyone's been pretty, pretty battered and, and has built their tolerance. So whatever comes next, we'll all, we'll all bounce back from and keep going. I see it being positive. What's been the positives for you uh, coming out of this period of time? Look, I feel like for us, um, from a business perspective, we've really gone back to our roots because we've we've had to. Um, when we went from 50 staff to Snowy and I, um, we were really thrown back into what, why, why was it that we started doing this in the first place? Um, so that's been really positive. It's it's reignited something a little bit more hungry for us. It's not we haven't had you know the amazing team to to delegate and pan things off on. So it's uh, it's felt very grassroots operationally. Um, we're now you know f f fluffing things out again, and we've now got a bigger team, and we're now being able to to run like we've always run, but. You know, we've, been, we've had to become really resourceful. I mean, even things like product, we haven't been able to get the product. Um, we'll order wines and it can take two weeks to arrive because it's coming out of Victoria. I mean, it's, it's like constantly changing. 
these are all little tiny things, but then on mass, when you have that with, you know, three quarters of the things that you need to get in, um, you know, you, your staff from day to day say, oh, like we, we don't know if we can get to work. Now the borders have changed and we've got 100 people booked and all of a sudden I've got four staff to run a shift. I mean, it's just been like kind of insane, uh, insane stress stuff, but, but also positive because, you know, Snow is really back in the kitchen and I'm back on the floor doing what I love. I'm not behind a computer doing the business stuff, which can become an easy bogged down thing of running business. Um, I'm, I'm selling more wine than I've ever sold and, uh, yeah, having fun. Training people. You know, I've got this amazing young team who are so receptive and, and probably had this year not happened. Um, all the things that I've been lucky to learn throughout my 16 years of, of running fins, I wouldn't have probably passed on to this, you know, amazing young crew. So I'm ready to kind of hand it over to them again. I think I'll be super hands-on for the next couple of months and then I'm, I'm going to give it to them because I'll jump into the next project that we're working on. Well, Morgan, we look forward to hearing all about that and we've loved having you on Deep in the Weeds uh, today. Please keep in touch and we'll talk again soon. Certainly will. Take care. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospo community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>